Hey everyone, we have another great show of the final third today. We talk all about Manchester City's complete dominance, Liverpool's complete lack of dominance, and Borussia Dortmund getting a new coach and kind of screwing over Borussia Mönchengladbach. But before we get to any of that, if you aren't following us on Twitter or following the podcast wherever you listen to us, or if you haven't left a review, or if you haven't turned notifications on, get to that pause the episode right now before we even get to it and do all that because you want to be part of this podcast that we're growing we've gotten a lot more growth coming in the past couple weeks and we're so excited to share all of what we have to say with you guys so do not hesitate to become a part of the community and go do that and with that enjoy the show Welcome back to another episode of The Final Third, the only soccer podcast. And that's all. Yep. I'm <laughs> I'm AJ Tabura. I'm joined by Jack Seepersod, everyone's favorite. What clubs do you support, Jack? Minnesota United, uh, Chelsea, Atalanta, and the French national team. Yeah. And guess what? Guess what I support? Guess what I support? I support Minnesota United, the U.S. national team, and West ham united jack did you happen to catch before we get into anything else did you happen to catch the west ham tottenham game it was at 6 a.m so i don't expect you to but no but i was happy for i was happy and sad because sad because it takes you above chelsea yes but also happy because it came at the expense of spurs so like you know win lose win lose situation right there yeah 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 even even for you rc spurs lose that's gotta be gotta be pretty pretty good we're going to talk about that game and plenty of other games in our predictions section but you know we don't just do predictions here we do a lot more than that this is our news and predictions show where we go over all the big things in soccer we tell you the big stories what you need to know not just why it happened not just how it happened but what it means in the big picture for soccer all over the world First, we're going to go into our five big stories. We'll t- tell you all the g- big happenings in world soccer. Then we're going to go on to a new section that Jack is spearheading that we're going to get into after the news. Then we're going to go into the U.S. men's national team corner where we talk about all the happenings in the U.S. soccer world. And finally, we're going to talk about last week's predictions and also give our predictions for all the big games this week. And with that, let's get started with the first of our five big stories. Jack, take it away with a French legend that you respect so much. Uh, Yes. Uh, So, as I said, I support the French national team. So last season, I was super hyped when I saw my favorite Eastern Conference MLS team appoint Thierry Henry as manager. And I got a little worried earlier in the week when I heard some reports that Bournemouth in the EFL championship were considering appointing him as their manager because they recently sacked uh, Jason Tindall. And I, I, I was going to talk about this, uh, you know, a lot more, but earlier today we found out that this isn't happening anymore, that Thierry Henry is staying on as now Club de Foot Montreal's head coach, and Bournemouth appointed their caretaker manager, Jonathan Woodgate, to as a short-term manager probably until the end of the season but given that Bournemouth are now on their third coach in a year it, who knows how long that will last but sure. I mean 
I, I think that this is a really interesting story because it shows that, you know, Thierry Henry had some good, good managerial experience before moving to Montreal. He was, he was the manager at Monaco. He didn't do great at Monaco, but he, he was manager there for a little bit. And it, it would have been an interesting career move for him because it could have seen him going closer to, a, to the game where he spent most of his time. Uh, in the Premier League, where he absolutely tore it up with Arsenal. And, you know, I I think it would have been a good move for him, but ultimately, I am glad that he's staying with uh, Club de Foot Montreal because he was pretty good for them as a manager, given that they lost Ignacio Piatti, their best player for, like, the past decade, almost. Uh, he still guided them to the playoffs. Didn't do well in the playoffs, but guided them there nonetheless. And... You know, I I want to see him continue that, and also being able to say that one of my favorite French players of all time is a coach in the MLS. Like, he had other options, and he chose to stay in MLS is a pretty awesome thing to say. So, uh, for that, I'm pretty happy with this. AJ, how do you feel about Thierry Henry? I feel like he is one of my favorite soccer players of all time. I'm glad that he's staying in MLS. I do also agree that I think it's a good move for him. I feel like him taking the Monaco job a while back was a bad move for him. It might have been too big too quickly. Bournemouth, like you said, would have been a good move because it's not that major of a team. You know, they only have like, what, 11,000 seats in their stadium. Obviously not a, a huge club. But, you know, at the same time, I'm glad that that he's here in MLS. I will say, from what I have heard, there is the chance that he could leave halfway through the season. If he were to leave in any capacity this season, Club de Foot Montreal would be just, well, they would shoot themselves in the foot because with this rebrand going, they have to get everything right this season in order for it to be successful. So, you know, we'll keep our eyes peeled for that but, you know, Thierry Henry moving to Bournemouth was a possibility. But what is confirmed is Dortmund getting a new head coach. Dortmund signed head coach Marco Rosa, currently of Borussia Mönchengladbach, previously of RB Salzburg. And in the future, he's going to be moving across the country to Borussia Dortmund. Mönchengladbach is currently eighth in the Bundesliga currently on a three-game winless streak, and Dortmund, as we have covered in the show before, have been uninspiring as of late. They're currently in sixth place. They've been without a head coach since Lucien Favre got sacked, and they need to find success this season. They need to get into the Champions League because they are just too big to fail at this point. They just, they just need to have some st stability in their club. And they're turning to Marco Rosa. But this is actually a move that might hurt both of them. It's not very often that we see a coach go to a league rival at the end of the season and kind of have a, a lame duck head coaching stint for the last five months. Mönchengladbach are in the middle of a Champions League campaign. They're in the middle of a top four hunt. And they might get complacent because they realize that this guy, who they've been learning his system, his RB Salzburg system, for the past, you know, couple of a couple of years the fact that he's leaving it might cause some complacency within the locker room and we also have to look at the way that Dortmund are thinking about this he 
is going to be walking into a new club, those players know that their caretaker manager, Eden Terzic, won't stay. They might also find some complacency as well. And we also have to look at how the fans of Gladbach are reacting. And Jack, it's not very good. You know, they gave him the tools to do well. He talked about staying long term and building a project. And now he's leaving. It's terrible for the fans. And it might not be so great for the clubs as of right now for the next five months. And so this continues a tradition of Dortmund taking Mönchengladbach people. We had Marco Royce, Dahoud, Hazard leaving for Borussia Dortmund. So, you know, Mönchengladbach fans are very, very unhappy by this move. And if, if it's coming from me, I'll have to say that this might not be a very positive move in the short term. Jack, what do you think about how this is going to turn out, this head coach saga? Yeah, well, for Gladbach, it's got to be crushing. And especially with a Champions League game coming up, mm-hmm. uh, that dressing room's gone. I, I'm just going to say, there's no way that Marco Rosa still has control of that dressing room after probably, be- wait, pretty much betraying a ton of these players and everything that they've worked for. And, you know, Dortmund, I think... I'm not sure if it will affect Dortmund as badly because I don't think Terzic was ever seen as like the primary and like permanent replacement by uh, Dortmund or any of the of the players, really. Like they made it pretty clear in in the announcement of him that this was a caretaker move. So I think that it's going to affect Gladbach a lot more than Dortmund. And because of that, I think that Dortmund have done a great deal of business for themselves, not only for next (laughs) season, but for this season, because they could potentially neutralize another top four rival with this. So that, I don't know. I think it could be very good for Dortmund, but only time will tell. Yeah, a a little bit of of legal sabotage on their part. Yeah. Well, we'll also see who takes over. You know, we have Ajax's Eric Ten Hag in the mix, and also an American from RB Salzburg, Jesse Marsh. So I guess... I guess Mönchengladbach is taking another Salzburg coach. Borussia Dortmund's taking another Gladbach coach. And I guess, in conclusion, what that means is Marco Rosa is going to end up in Bayern Munich because we all know how Bayern <laughs> Munich takes from Dortmund. And with yep, that, let's talk about some more coaches, I suppose. Jack, take it away with Klopp and Mourinho. Yeah, well, let me gl- get the clickbaity part out of the way. Are Klopp and Mourinho washed? Yes. Are they? Maybe. Maybe, given their results recently. But, uh, of course, as always, if you know either of these coaches, you know that they don't think that, and they will find other ways to blame and other things to blame. Jose Mourinho definitely doesn't think he is, and said in an interview following the defeat, the I, I think he's lost five out of the last six in the Premier League, uh, with the only win coming against West Brom. And he said that he has the best coaching system and coaching team in the world, which is a pretty bold statement, given that Tottenham are sitting seven or nine points off the top four and only really having cup form to show for this season so far. So it's really interesting to see, but I wouldn't expect anything else from Jose Mourinho, to be honest. And I think it's going to be really interesting because. 
apparently, according to Jose Mourinho, he says that the team, he dismissed suggestions that the team's in crisis, but says that there is frustration and sadness in the changing room. Uh, mm. So what that begs the question of is, has Jose Mourinho lost yet another dressing room in his managerial career? Uh, it's happened to him at Manchester United. It happened to him at Chelsea twice, uh, as many times as he won the league for us. So, or, well, he won it with three. Never mind. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's it's interesting because there was a lot of questions when Jose Mourinho joined Tottenham of if he has what it takes to get Tottenham back to the same level that Pochettino was achieving regularly with achieving European competition, you know, getting to a, a Champions League final. Uh, and so far, it doesn't look like he really has. He he just hasn't been able to maintain the form that we saw at the beginning of the season where Tottenham were first in the league. And it's not just uh, Mourinho who's having trouble. Jurgen Klopp is having a lot of trouble. And after the loss this past weekend, uh, or yeah, uh, a loss this past weekend, he literally blamed God himself. And said that uh, he understands now that God is a Manchester City fan and that he will do anything to stop Liverpool from doing well, which I think is a bit of an overstatement given that they won the Premier League in the middle of a pandemic last season. So, uh, but it's it, it's interesting because Klopp is coming under perhaps a little bit more pressure than he should be after a pretty poor strain of results. They out of their last four in the league. They have won one and lost four with defeats against Brighton, City, Leicester, and Everton, losing the first Merseyside derby in nearly 20 years or something, it feels like, a long time. And although I think a lot of people's first reaction maybe to Klopp's bad run of form is, oh, they should sack him, I would say to people who are saying that is not a chance. I, I don't think yeah. that Klopp is washed at all. He is a great manager. He won them the Premier League with all, with almost 100 points in the middle of a pandemic where literally everything shut down for months, which threatened to completely derail any momentum they had. And yet they still maintained it and won it with like nine games to spare, which was really well done. He led them to a Champions League win the year before that. And, you know... Even though he hasn't had great success in the cup, I mean, winning the Premier League and the Champions League in two years, there's not much else you can ask for for a manager, uh, especially given that Liverpool in the early two, 2010s was not reaching their full potential, you could say, given their squad. Yes. So he has turned them around. And I would say to any Liverpool fans who think that he should be sacked is you should keep the faith in this man. You do not want to lose him because he has brought so much to your club. And trying to sack him now would be just an utter mistake. I am going to have to agree. I would also like to add another coach to this mix of asking if they're washed. And that's Barcelona's coach, Ronald Koeman, because he has been coming under fire. And he also has a, a very interesting quote where he said, I believe it was, in fact, after the PSG 4-1 loss, that they're moving in the right direction which brought up a lot of bad speculation from fans. And so, Jack, the question I want to ask you is, I, I personally believe that 
they should at least stick with these managers until the end of the season. Most of them probably longer. But which one of these coaches, Komen, Klopp, or Mourinho, do you think gets fired first? Well, I think it's going to be Komen. I, I've, I've got to say, because he's, he's not doing great things in the league. Uh, they're third right now behind Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid. They got humiliated in Champions League quarterfinals, or sorry, round of 16, not at the quarterfinals, and they probably they won't, won't get make to, the quarterfinals. Yeah, they won't get there. So, no. uh, and, you know, it's, it's strange, though, because Komen was great with the Netherlands, like the national team. He was excellent there, and I don't know why he, tra- he traded that away, because he was doing great things, but I guess Barcelona was too, uh, too much of an attractive proposition, but I ultimately think that Barcelona managers at this point, because of the issues within the club, are just doomed to fail. And maybe the new presidential election in Barcelona in March will help sort that out, but I still think Komen gets fired first. Yeah, I'm actually going to say that Komen gets fired because of the new presidential elections. That's I'm fair. pretty sure Komen was just, in the eyes of many fans, a placeholder uh, coach. When we get a new president, they're probably going to go for their guy, the guy they like. Maybe uh, Chavi. Everyone wants to have Chavi in there. Yeah. So, you know, perhaps him. I think unless Mourinho gets fired before the end of the season, uh, Komen's gone by the end of this season, at least. But you know, a, a coach that's not getting fired anytime soon is Pep Guardiola in Manchester City. Because I wrote this down word for word for my notes. City are very, very good. And that's, I mean, very that's, eloquent, oh, very eloquent. Yeah, straight to the point and very true, actually, because they've broken the most consecutive wins by a top flight English team in all competitions with 18 straight wins. They've had the most consecutive wins by a top flight team from the start of the calendar year. So January 1st, 2021, with 11 games. They haven't lost since a 2-0 loss to Tottenham three months to the day that we're recording this. We're recording this on the 21st of, of February. They haven't lost since November 21. They've completely wow. dominated England, completely dominated. And it's not even, it's not because they spend a lot. They do spend a lot, but plenty of clubs spend a lot. Their recruitment and Pep's tactics are absolutely undefeated within the Premier League and beyond. They just have a system and players that can, that can step up no matter what. We have Sterling, Diaz, Cancelo, Foden, Stones, Morris, Gunduin, Jesus, Walker. Everyone just manages to step up and play well whenever they're called upon. They've only conceded 15 in the league. And of all the 38 games they played in all competitions so far this season, they've had a clean sheet for 23 of those games. Wow. So they, so they have, I believe at this point, more clean sheets than they have conceded goals who knows they're also in the efl cup final the fa cup quarterfinals and according to 538 they have a 99 percent chance of winning the league since they're 10 points ahead of second place and they also have the best chance to win the champions league according to 538 with a 40 percent chance so jack the question i'm going to ask you and i have a follow-up question can they win the quadruple can they win the league Champions League, the League Cup, and the FA Cup. What do you think? Well, I think they can. Uh, 
I think they can. I, I especially think they can win the EFL Cup, given Tottenham's oh, yeah. recently, recent form and, uh, you know, their recent form. It just doesn't match up. Uh, and then, you know, the Premier League looks as good as, as it can get for them. The FA Cup, they certainly can win that. Uh, I, I forgot who they're facing in the next round. But I believe it's Everton. Everton. Okay, well, that's a little bit tougher. And it comes, and I think that game comes the week after the uh, Champions League second leg. But I still think that they could do that as well. Now, the Champions League seems a little strange because I, I don't know if you know this, but every year... 538 seems to project that Manchester City yes, has the best yes. chance of winning the Champions League. And somehow every year they they find some way to slip up. Last season it was against Leon and changing the system to a 3 like I think it was a 3142 or something. It was just a weird system that Pep changed it to and it cost them really badly in that game. Uh and you know, I it it I think they could. I think they could win it, but Pep just has to trust in his own tactics instead of trying to switch it up in the Champions League all the time because yeah. he does it so often. Uh, but, you know, I think they can. Okay. Well, you know, it's good that we're talking about the future because, you know, that's the that's one of the big things we like to talk about the show, not just what happened in the past, but predicting what could happen in the future given the current trends. But another trend I want to talk about is if they continue to win and they managed to win all four trophies this year, and they win next season both the domestic and European Super Cups and the Club World Cup, they'd be the first ever team to win a septuple, seven trophies in one season, and you know the Super Cups and Club World Cup count for this season. Jack, in one word answer, yes or no, if they do that, would they be the best team of all time? One word answer, uh... I'm going to have to say yes. I'm going to have to. I'm going to say yes to it. It is tough, but you can't argue with the numbers, I suppose. And if that does happen, I guess we'll have to talk about that. But let's be honest, there's good chance that it won't. Yeah. But let's talk about from one very, very good team to going back to another bad team. We talked about Klopp not doing so hot with Liverpool. Let's talk about the Liverpool physios not doing very well. Jack, take it away with another Liverpool crisis. Yeah, but it's the Liverpool injury and treatment room that just takes the takes the cake for biggest catastrophe of the season. Henderson came off injured at the Merseyside derby, and upon further inspection, it does not look good, and he looks destined for a long-term absence from the squad. And what this means is that Liverpool's injury list currently consists of their, uh, you know, Champions League and Premier League winning captain uh, being out for possibly a few months. Virgil van Dijk, their best defender and possibly one of the best defenders in the world, being out. Joe Gomez, out. Fabinho, out. Ben Davies, their new signing that was supposed to replace all of these center backs, got injured in training, and he's out now too. Um, Joel Matip, another center back out. Diogo Jota, who was a hat-trick hero against Atalanta in the Champions League, out. Yep. Uh, Naby Keita, he barely ever gets played, but he did score a great goal against Chelsea at Anfield last season. He's out as well. And, of course, the GOAT, James Milner, is out as well. Uh, so what this means 
is they have one fit center back in Ozan Kabak, who has not been playing incredibly well, to be honest. Nope. And no available uh, central defensive midfielders. So I guess uh, Klopp gets to turn to the wheel of fortune of what outfield player and what midfielder is going to play center back next. We who who knows? May I think what they might, uh, what they probably should do is just switch to a three at the back, and you know just play like play Trent and. Uh, Robertson, yeah. <laughs> oh God, uh, what, just just play them as center backs for the time being because you you've got to get defensive solidity and you you need to get it fast. So this could be really damaging to Liverpool and could actually be the end of top four hopes as well because their squad, aside from the front three, doesn't look great right now. Yes, and I don't have much to add other than I think for Liverpool to solve their center back issues. I think they should put Allison as a center back. Ah, uh, yes. Can't do much worse than <laughs> what they have. And honestly, he might be a better center back than he is a goalkeeper at this point. We'll see. <laughs> and with that, let's move on to our real quick, quick fire news section. This time, coincidentally, all MLS. We have a lot of MLS stories that aren't big enough to actually be their own story. But also something we want to mention. So we have five of these. And we're starting with the top uh, Kaku, a New York Red Bull a former player. He moved from Red Bulls to Saudi Arabian Al-Tuwan FC. Uh, the problem is that New York told him that they exercised the, their club option, which automatically extends his contract by one year. He was planning to leave on a free, and suddenly they said, hey, you can't do that. Red Bulls say that they still own his rights and have his international clearance. Al-Tuwan says they got a provisional uh, clearance from FIFA themselves, but then Red Bull said that they that doesn't change that there's a contract between him and the club. And then he and his agent actually say that Red Bulls forgot to, to CC him in the email for the announcement so that they didn't know that there was a contract. Therefore, oh. it's null and void. And so Red Bull said that they're going to go to arbitration of sport to get this cleared up, and they're taking it straight to the top. And so it's very confusing. I'm not a lawyer, nor do I ever want to be. <laughs> so... This just seems like a lot of paperwork. Kaku is kind of in this weird limbo between the two clubs. And speaking of weird limbo, we have Charlotte being in the limbo of kind of being a good team, kind of being a very bad team. I don't mean on the field, I mean off the field. Because Charlotte are charging way too much for season tickets. You have to pay PSLs, which are a seat license. And what are they? If you want to get a season ticket, you have to pay this PSL, which is a one-time fee that gives you rights to a specific seat. But you also have to pay the fees for the season tickets. If you want to have season tickets, you have to pay for both. So I looked at the costs, added them up with the PSLs and the actual supporters' uh, season tickets total cost, and I found that supporters' sections season tickets are $486. Oh the average cost range for a single seat when you add up both the PSL and the season tickets range from $900 to $2,500 to $3,000. That's more than Liverpool and Atlanta United. And for an expansion team to do this, that's crazy. It's like they want their audience to be all white and middle class. And I, we saw a lot of good tweets talking about how you don't get a really good atmosphere if you don't have regular everyday working people. You have 
if you don't have working class people, if you don't have students, if you don't have a racially diverse audience. And by pricing that out, you're going to get a very homogenous group of people in an already very homogenous city and state. It's terrible. What else is terrible, you ask? Well, Inter-Miami just signed a 33-year-old Stoke City center back, Ryan Shawcross. He's had so many injuries. He's so old. This is so uninspiring. But given that they hired Phil Neville and Phil Neville's heading this, it it, it makes sense. And we all thought that Inter-Miami was going to go for intriguing South American youth signings in order to get in tune with the multicultural soul of the city. Really try to encapsulate what Miami's all about. Instead... A 33-year-old English dude with injury problems. At this point, they're just gentrifying South Beach. (laughs) Finally, we have the MLS U22 initiative. We talked about this last week. We're going to talk about it some more on Thursday because more news has come out, and it's very interesting. And if you want to hear more about that, that's on Thursday. We're also going to talk about the title races in all the different European leagues, who we think is going to win, how it ended up being the way that it is And that's all for the real quick. We are going to actually go into a new segment headed by Jack. Jack, why don't you explain what it is? Do you have a title for it? We we should uh, come up with something. I don't really have a a title for this, but basically what it is is uh, I'm a really big fan of history. And I'm also a big fan of soccer, as evident by the fact that I'm part of a podcast that talks about soccer. So I decided... It would be cool if maybe I could combine those two elements and give our audience a little bit of a look at some interesting points in soccer history and what it meant for the world at the time or what it means today. And there's so many stories that I, I can, I've thought about and talked about, but for today, I wanted to share one of my favorite ones. And let me just grab my notes here because I have a notebook of all of the different stories that I have here. Uh, and my favorite, one of my favorite soccer history stories that might be kind of well-known, but is also a little bit underrated in terms of cool stories, El Salvador versus Hungary at the 1982 World Cup. Now, some of you might hear this and remember, oh, this is the game where Hungary destroyed El Salvador 10 to 1. What else is there to this? But I would counter that by saying this happens to be one of the most interesting stories and also has one of the most interesting and one of the coolest goals for what it meant for history for in the entire World Cup. So let's start by just a little bit of background on this story, because El Salvador, you know, maybe not the most exciting national team. They haven't really appeared at many World Cups, and 1982 was their first instance. But before they qualified, they were in the middle of a massive civil war, and it wasn't it wasn't very safe throughout the entire country, you know? And despite all of the bloodiness, the violence in this, in this uh, country, El Salvador qualifying over the rivals, Mexico, who, you know, Mexico mistreated uh, El Salvadoran immigrants, actually trying to murder and uh, kidnap them as they tried to cross over into the U S at times. And they beat Mexico to qualify for their first ever world cup and started to help unify the country a little bit, moving into it. So they they didn't get a lot of time to train after this, but, you know, uh, they tried their best. They played against 
PSG, Gremio, and Boca Juniors. Those are the biggest teams that they played. And they played two games per week to prepare for this. And it left wow. a lot of their first and top players injured. And going into the World Cup, they ended up fielding the youngest goalkeeper at that point in time, at least, in the competition's history. Uh, which, you know, if you know about m- most World Cup squads, their goalkeeper tends to be one of the most experienced people in the squad. So it took them about two and a half days to get to the World Cup, which would be held in Spain. And they almost weren't able to make it there. But in the ultimate hit of, uh, you know, disrespect, once they got there, their team bus was painted with Mexico's colors because everyone had expected Mexico to qualify over them. (laughs) So they they didn't even bother to to fix that. And they stayed in a rundown motel outside of the outside of the city limits of where they would be playing most of their games. And they never received any jerseys. Uh, that they were promised by sponsors. So they played in all white. So as you as you can imagine, this wasn't a great start to it. And to uh, to start it off, they faced Hungary. And in within eight minutes, Hungary had scored two goals. And it wasn't looking good for El Salvador. And, you know, it, it got even worse as, you know, they created chances, but they couldn't score. And then Hungary scored a third goal from 60 feet away or uh-huh. uh, to, and it was a it was a pretty miraculous goal and El Salvador was just leaving too much space and Hungary was a counterattacking team at the time and they just kept scoring and scoring and scoring and it wasn't looking very good i think uh got to 5 5-0 five, sorry by the 54th minute until El Salvador scored the only world cup goal in their nation's history no. And it was a pretty good goal. He la- uh the player uh Pele Zapata latched onto a cross and just drilled it at the keeper and it was a huge moment because this remains the only World Cup goal ever scored by El Salvador in World Cup history. And you might think they lost 10 to 1. Why does this matter at all? Why does this one goal matter? Well, it matters for a few reasons. Because of this one goal, even though they got thrashed, this country was in such pain from a civil war that they started to unify more after this because they saw that their their team was giving it all for everyone in their country, and they started to unify. And, you know, even though uh, a lot of the players still experienced some violence once they got home, because, you know, they did lose 10 to 1, uh, they, they still showed how much soul they had in that team to try their best. And perhaps the biggest testament comes in the games after, where they faced Argentina, the world champions at the time, and only lost 2-0, holding them for a great majority of the game with some great talents. You know, Diego Maradona was in this team, and so many other great Argentine players were in this team. And they only lost to Belgium 1-0 1-0 as well and you could have argued in both of those, these games that they probably could have done that they probably could have won them as well so while El Salvador might be remembered as a time like as the possibly the worst defensive team in World Cup history to me and I think to you to everyone else they should be remembered for this one goal and what it meant for this country and for the trajectory of it going forward and that's the Very. story 
a very, very beautiful story. And one that we should you know, all think about when we think about, when we talk about World Cup teams. There's some World Cup teams who are just happy to be there. And just being there is an achievement all in it of self. And with that, we'll move on to the present right now with the U.S. men's national team corner. We have a very, very big week to recap. I mean, this is an insane amount, so I'm not going to stop talking. I'm going to start getting into it with our first recap. Sergino Dest played as Barcelona, got massacred 4-1 against PSG. He was matched up against Mbappe, and Komen seemed to really want to blame Dest, which, you know, Jack said here, is undeserved. I'm going to say it's also undeserved. Mbappe only got past him really once. Other than that, it, it was a lot of him and the other defenders being to blame. It, it, it's tough to guard against the, one of the best players of all time. And you also have to keep in mind that he also played in a 1-1 draw against Cadiz in the La Liga regular season, and he actually did play well. So just because he doesn't do well against literally one of the best players in the entire world, he can still play against normal people. He had an 88% pass rate. He was the best-rated defender on the team. He is known to be saucy with all of his passes, his, his runs into the box. It's really good. Tyler Adams played in his usual right-win-back role for RB Leipzig's 2-0 loss against Liverpool in the Champions League. But in the weekend, he assisted... Uh, how do you pronounce that, Jack? How, how do you pronounce Mukiele. that name? Mukiele. Mukiele. All right. Mukiele's goal in an eventual 3-0 win. Tyler Adams, like I said before, is a Swiss army knife of players. He can play wherever you want. He's a utility man, and that's why we love him. Tim Weah scored for Lille off a bad pass from an Ajax defender in a 2-1 loss against Ajax in the Europa League. He also created some key chances, one of which should have been scored. He could have gotten the assist right there, but unfortunately, the GOAT can't do everything. You also have Chris Richards playing and getting a hockey assist in Molde's 3-3 draw against his team, TSG Hoffenheim. He also completed the most amount of passes in the team. And in the weekend, he shut out Josh Sargent and another fellow American in Werder Bremen to win 4-0. There's actually a screenshot of him just completely destroying Josh Sargent with a tackle. It was really cool. He's been really present defensively, and he's amazing on the ball. He just needs to get better at some... Uh, some heading, his aerial presence, but everything he does when he has the ball, when he can uh, defend, when he's man-marking people, is really good. Brendan Aronson played in Salzburg versus Villarreal. He created two chances. And he had a really nice back heel to Meg Parejo. He also got two hockey assists in the weekend in the Austrian Bundesliga for Salzburg against Rapid Wien. He's an insanely creative player, one of the most creative players that I have seen play for the U.S. men's national team, U.S. men's national team's younger ranks, I guess the youth teams. He's been really good. He's been really creative, and I can't wait to see him during World Cup qualifiers. We have Weston McKenney played in Porto versus Juve. Not really to say much about that, except he might be injured for the short term, at least. It looks like Pirlo said he might be out for tomorrow's game. Hopefully all's well there. We also have another injury with Christian Pulisic, not playing in Chelsea's 1-1 draw against Southampton. Thomas Tuchel says that it is most likely precautionary, so hopefully we don't have to worry about anything there. 
We also don't have to worry about John Brooks whenever he plays in front of goal because he is a brick wall. He has kept a clean sheet in Wolfsburg 3-0 win against Armenia Bielefeld. Seven clean sheets in a row. They're third in the Bundesliga. Is an average foot mob rating of 7.01. He is one of the biggest reasons why they are third in the league and literally one of the best Americans playing this season. We have a dual national, Siabachu, scoring a brace, including an 89th minute winner in Young Boys' 4-3 win over Bayer Leverkusen. To have a, a potentially a U.S. men's national team player scoring a brace against an actual Bundesliga team, that's more than Josh Sargent can say. So maybe we should be excited about this. That was in the Europa League. We have in the Turkish League, DeAndre Yedlin assisting Emre Kilain's goal in Galatasaray's 1-0 win against Alanyaspor. An actual dime is what he served up for him. A great assist, and he might be our third choice right back for the future. We also have Bobby Wood and Aaron Johansson scoring for the respective clubs. And Dwayne Holmes, a 26-year-old American. I don't think he's uh, played for America for a while, but he scored a brace for Huddersfield Town against Swansea City. Two amazing goals. Look up the highlights. They were great. They win 4-1. And unfortunately, there are, is some bad news out of that. Probably the worst news we've had to cover in the U.S. Men's National Team corner. Jordan Morris, who was on loan from Seattle Sounders to Swansea City in the championship, went down with a potential ACL injury in that same game. And unfortunately, it looks like his time in Swansea City for the rest of the season might be over. He had to get stretchered off. He just did not move after that. Was really like in agony holding his leg it didn't look really good and before we get to the the predictions jack do you have anything to say about jordan morris's injury uh the jordan morris injury is heartbreaking because i if i remember correctly he was out of a lot of the 2018 to 19 season with a pretty nasty injury as well and yeah it it it's worrying because he's a very good winger and I wanted him to do well with Swansea because he deserves to be playing for a different club. Also, I don't like Seattle Sounders and I love Jordan Morris, <laughs> so I don't want him to be playing for a team that I don't like. So we have to balance those out. But, you know, I, I wanted him to do really well and I hope the injury isn't as serious as we think it is. But if it is, that's just a really sad moment, honestly. and. Re really terrible news, but I also wanted to comment on the uh, John Brooks story because John Brooks is the kind of player who should be good at getting a look from other other top teams and other leagues. Like you know, yeah, he he is potential. Yeah, honestly, Liverpool should have signed him instead of Ozan Kabak uh, from the Bundesliga. Like he he looks like a class defender, potentially like you know a, just an absolute brick wall if he goes anywhere else like i think if he goes to the premier league he might be among the conversation for one of the best defenders in europe if not already that that's my take on those get well sued jordan morris yes and that is our segment this week for u.s men's national team corner we are running very long but you know what who cares you know next week check again for u.s men's national team corner where we talk about all the great things that are going on in the champions europa league and Anywhere else that Americans are playing. And with that, let's go over last week's predictions. 
just to go over the base rules, you know, we had a guest on, we had Jack's cousin Aiden on. We all made predictions on the different games that we thought were really important and really big. And we're going to be we're going to be talking about them. But the point system for all this, it's zero points if you get the, the result completely wrong. You get 10 points if you get the result right, but not the scoreline correct. And you get 20 points if you get the scoreline exactly correct. Jack, why don't you take it away with Barcelona versus PSG? Well, yeah, this was an exciting end-to-end attacking match that saw Messi convert a strong penalty off of, you know, a pretty questionable foul on Frankie de Jong. Uh, didn't look like much contact was really made, but an amazing team goal saw Kurzawa to Verratti to Mbappe for PSG's tying goal. It was a great goal, uh, mm-hmm. probably one of the best in the knockout stages so far. And then in the 65th minute, Florenzi crossed in a deflected pass that found Mbappe, who beat Serginio Dest for pretty much the only time in the entire game to find a second goal. Yeah. And Mozkin, who wasn't really firing for Everton, got an, in, like, got an incredible headed goal. Like It looked like it was going way wide, and he just leaped into the air, like put his full body in the way, and just bullet-headed it in. It was very good. And then Mbappe finished off an incredible hat trick with a goal from nearly outside the box to seal yes. this game for PSG 4-1, becoming the first French team to win at the Camp Nou since 1982. And Mbappe is only the second player to score a hat trick against Barca in the Champions League and the second player to score a hat trick against Barca at the Camp Nou. And none of us predicted this correctly. None of us thought Mbappe would show up. And boy, did he prove us wrong. So we all get zero points for this one. Yes, we all thought that... Well, Jack thought they were well, going to draw. Yeah, draw. Aiden and I thought that Barcelona's going to win, but Mbappe has shown us time and time again that he's one of the best young players to, to grace the game of soccer, and he's only going to get better. And another team that's only going to get better is the U.S. women's national team as they took on the Canadian women's national team in the She Believes Cup. They won that 1-0, to zero, and it was way closer than it really needed to be. The U.S. women's national team trotted out a lineup that raised some eyebrows, particularly because Vladko, the head coach, decided to start veterans Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino instead of bringing on younger guns. The finishing from both sides was particularly awful, and the play in the final third, name drop, wasn't up to par with what we're used to seeing. And there were some missed handballs by the USA that helped keep it at a stalemate. But honestly, all credit to Canada for soaking the pressure that came in from the, the women's team. And eventually, Rose Lavelle, Alex Morgan, and Christian Press were all subbed on at once. It was crazy seeing them line up. I was like, whoa, that's literally insane that we have that much depth. The energy shifted, and Rose Lavelle was able to find a great goal to lift the USA to win one to zero. If they want to win this tournament, they're going to have to be a lot sharper and more decisive against the future opposition. We're recording this actually the day that they just took on Brazil. And guess what? They listened to me. They ended up being a lot more sharper. They won 2-0 against Brazil. So hopefully they win the entire thing. But we all got 10 points. Jack and I said it was going to be 4-0. Aiden said 4-1. We're pretty far off, but we still get those 10 points. And next we have Liverpool versus Everton, the Merseyside derby. Jack, take it away. Yeah, well, I feel like we've said this quite a few episodes in a row, but Anfield has fallen once again. 
for the first time since 1999. Whoa. Everton have won at Anfield, finally breaking that, uh, that trend. Liverpool have lost more games in 2021 than in 2019 and 2020 combined. Yikes. It's really bad for them. Uh, really bad. Liverpool now have their worst streak of home league defeats since 1923, and if they lose against Chelsea, it will be their worst home streak since they were formed in 1892, so fingers crossed. Fingers uh, crossed. I actually want to see that. Yeah, I, I'd like to see it too. Uh, an early Richarlison goal and a Sigurdsson penalty secured a 0-2 Everton win, uh, and like we talked about as well, Jordan Henderson comes off injured and it's not looking good for him. It's probably only going to get worse for Liverpool. Uh, AJ yes. guessed zero to one, so he was pretty close to getting ah, the right scoreline uh, for ten points. Ah. I I got a I guessed one two, so I get ten points. And Aiden tried to back Liverpool, didn't pay off for him. The risk didn't pay off. Uh, he guessed a two zero to Liverpool, so he got zero from this one. Darn. Well, I guess it's my time, Jack, because we're going to talk about your favorite West time. Ham versus Tottenham Hotspurs in the English Premier League. And I just have to say, we are massive. West Ham were in control from the very beginning, Jack. Jack, you need to listen to this, because this is mm-hmm. my time, bro. Okay. We, talk, we talk about Chelsea way too much. It's some, this is my <laughs> turn. An Antonio goal and a Lingardinho Galazzo gave the Hammers a 2-0 lead. Lucas Moura, you know, tried to pull one back, you know, like, like all Spurs tried to be uh, good people, and all Spurs fans tried to be decent human beings but he failed because gareth bale you know honestly to his credit did a really good job adding energy trying to find an equalizer but unfortunately sir david moyes virgil van dawson ling gardino mikhail antonio aka the english Lewandowski, declan rice aka the second coming of makalele and thomas won't stop defending even when his face is actually gushing blood out of his eyebrows suchek cannot be stopped West Ham are now in fourth place on 45 points. Like, let's go. We're massive. Buzzing. Come on, you irons. And I just have to give out a warning to Man City. I know you're on an 18-game winning streak. I know you're probably going to bring Mönchengladbach down to make it 19. But honestly, you're next. I don't care if it's, I I believe, away. I don't care if 538 gave us a 7% chance of winning the game. (laughs) Virgil van Dawson, headed goal. In the 89th minute, we win. And all of us actually backed up the West Ham uh, hammers to win. Good for us. It's obvious, like, it was a foregone conclusion that West Ham was going to win, <laughs> considering how massive we are. I said 3 2, you know, pretty close. You know, Aiden said 2 0, you know, pretty close. Jack got it on the money. He got 2 1 to get 20 points. I'm not even mad. Because guess what? It meant the West Ham win. And Sir David Moyes strikes Jose Mourinho down once again. Thank God for that. Jack, before we move on, I, I, think, I, think, you sh- I think you need to congratulate the, the, the West Ham team for taking down our hated rivals, Spurs, both of our hated rivals, Spurs. I will say, I, I do appreciate that, but I, I can't stop laughing at Virgil van Dawson, <laughs> the English Lewandowski. Oh my God. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, good. Well, before that, did you like how I, I compared uh, Makalele to uh, Declan Rice? Didn't that like a, that one. Didn't like yeah. that one. Kind of say. Yeah. <laughs> a- I, it might not be a fair comparison, com- considering that Declan Rice is going to be 
much, much better. Oh, no. But why don't you take it away with our final prediction for this week, which is AC Milan versus Inter Milan. Okay, so this game started off very quickly with, within five minutes, Lautaro Martinez ghosted between the AC Milan center backs and headed in a Lukaku cross after those five minutes and produced a 1-0 lead that Inter held on to for the half. And Milan threatened to close the deficit within two minutes of the second half starting, so Pioli's team talk must have been pretty good. But Handanovic was absolutely massive, a brick wall, and made a double save to keep out Zlatan Ibrahimovic from close range. And after fending off that rejuvenated Milan for the first, you know, 10 minutes or so, Lautaro Martinez uh, broke away on a counter to slot away his and Inter's second goal. The center backs were caught napping. And then to cap it off, Lukaku said, hey, I liked what you did there and did the exact same thing on the other side and got on another breakaway seven minutes later and sent a curling effort from the edge of the box past Donnarumma for a comprehensive 3-0 victory. And it changes the state of the Serie A title race because everyone thought, ah, it's AC Milan's here. And then Inter was like, not a chance. So uh, AJ guessed a 0-0 draw, uh, which was pretty far off. Uh, But I guessed a 2-2 draw, so I didn't do much better. But my cousin Aiden got a 1-2 victory for Inter, so he gets 10 points from that. And with that, we have our updated standings here. Uh, AJ um, had 30 points. Aiden had 30 points as well. And I came out on top with 40 points. The bad prediction luck is going away finally. And the records so far, AJ has won two of these weeks and has lost five. I I believe, sorry to interrupt, I think I am at two and five. I believe, congratulations, I think you're now at 500. I think you're three, three and one, considering that we're only on episode eight, which means that we can only have seven times that we've recapped. Right. <laughs> so you've officially come back and broken even. So congratulations. Uh, yes. yes, finally. It's happened. <laughs> Just a few weeks ago, I remember. Uh, everyone was, uh, I think Griffin was on and he said, it'll be pretty easy to beat Jack. And ever since then, it hasn't been. There we go. Yes, <laughs> you're right. And I have been doing terribly with these predictions. I've been doing for this week at least terribly in FPL I've been down tremendously bad against all of my opponents same here <laughs> so hopefully hopefully my luck in both facets of predictions picks up and with that those are our last week's predictions let's get into this week's predictions we have a very special guest that Jack is about to introduce right now yeah. all right so now that we've gone over last week's predictions let's move on to this week's predictions and it's going to be an exciting one we have a lot of europe uh games a lot of champions league some europa league in there and with us today we have uh casey christensen who plays soccer for concordia college in moorhead minnesota and i'll let him introduce himself tell us a little bit about your soccer fandom and your experiences with soccer Perfect. Yeah. Thank you guys again so much for having me on. This is kind of my podcast debut, so I hope I do everything right. But I, um, at least stateside, I'm a big Loons fan, only on the last team I support. Um, and then over in Europe, I'm a big Man City fan, big Leicester fan. 
Um, I tend to be also a big Chelsea fan. That kind of depends on the year, I guess. You could say I'm kind of a bandwagon. Um, yeah, every I just I played as obviously soccer my whole life. Got the opportunity to come up and play soccer in Cordia. Took it. My dad actually played soccer here. He's kind of my big influence for soccer. We like if I'm watching a like an EPL game, whatever, he's always there watching it. He probably watches more TV, more soccer on TV than I do. Um, yeah, that's my story, I guess. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, you also in, in admitting that you can be a Chelsea fan at times, you continue a recent streak of uh, having a lot of guests who happen to be Chelsea fans on. So yeah, I see that continues. Yeah, my first jersey ever was a DDA Drogba Chelsea jersey. Yes, oh, wow. the one. legend. So I feel like I know a little bit to that. So <laughs> the legend himself. Okay. Well, uh, seeing that, uh, you know, your first jersey was a Didier Drogba one and he won the Champions League for Chelsea. Let's move on to our first prediction, which is Atletico Madrid versus Chelsea in the Champions League. And uh, I mean, I think that this is going to be a really good game because, uh, you know, we have a really resolute defensive side in Atletico Madrid versus Chelsea, who have been a little bit more conservative, but they like to keep possession. So both sides will probably be playing their preferred style of play. And, you know, this is going to be a, this was a tough one to predict because I like both of these teams. But ultimately, I think that, you know, it's going to be a tough one. Atletico aren't on great form. They have two wins, one loss and two draws in the last five. And Chelsea are four wins and one draw and zero losses in the last five. And in addition, Atletico are going to be missing some star players with new signing Musa Dembele uh, and Yannick Carrasco, uh, Jose Jimenez and Hector Herrera all missing for the Spanish side. Plus they're going to be playing in Romania when this is supposed to be their home leg. And because of all that, I think Chelsea are going to win this. It might be a little bit closer than what I'm going to predict, but I'm going to go, Atletico one to Chelsea three. So Casey, what do you think is going to happen in this game? Uh, I agree. I think that Chelsea's really found a new leader in the new manager, Thomas Tuchel. And so I have Chelsea winning two to one. I think, again, as you said, Atletico's got some big injuries. I think Chelsea's really going to see this as an opportunity to kind of prove themselves um, coming after, you know, a very strong form over in the Premier League. They're going to really, I think, go all in um, in this matchup. And I think at Chelsea, I think Mason Mount is going to, Mason Mount's definitely going to that one. And I think it's going to be Chelsea 2 1. All right. Mm. Mm, I don't know about this, Jack. I don't know. You know, you, you know how, how much I like uh, betting against Chelsea in these predictions. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm aware. So, you know, you, you said it yourself, you know, both teams aren't doing terribly terribly great you know there's some like fluctuations in form uh you know madrid is missing some of their key players but you're forgetting the number one rule never count out atletico madrid you know remember last year with liverpool and atleti people thought that you know liverpool were for sure going to going to take it all the way but you know you see what happened you counted them out and they struck hard. You know, they are playing in uh, Bucharest in Romania. That is something I, I did not think about. But at the same time, I think the two of these teams cancel out. It's going to be a 1-1 draw okay. between the two. Yes. 
All right. Well, Jack, seeing as you are not just a Chelsea fan, but also an Atalanta fan, why don't you take us to Atalanta versus Real Madrid? Yes, uh, this is going this is going to be a fun match because of the history of these two teams, because Atalanta are a team that haven't really had a lot of time to get established in Europe. This is only their second season in the Champions League, but their second consecutive season in the knockout rounds. And they had a really impressive record against the Spanish side they faced in the last knockout round, winning on aggregate eight to four. Now, that Spanish side was Valencia, but they still they still uh, made their mark. And Real Madrid are the best in the Champions League, really. Like they they've won it the most times and they're very good. And uh, this is a really tough one because I want Atalanta to win so much. But, you know, Real Madrid are on great form. They have four consecutive consecutive wins and only one loss in the last five. Atalanta have been fluctuating a bit more with three wins, one draw, and one loss. But the the thing is that Atalanta are actually going to get to play at their home stadium, unlike so many other uh, sides. So I think that they're going to do just enough to cancel out any Real Madrid attacks. And given that it's Atalanta, I'd expect them to bag a few goals. I'm going to go Real Madrid 2, Atalanta 2. Okay, all right. Well, Casey, why don't you take this next uh this next prediction because i i want to i want to give my take on atalanta last so give give us your take on atalanta and real madrid yeah i agree atalanta was a really fun team to watch um last year even what going 2-1 against psg um when ultimately they lost in the quarterfinals um i have i think real madrid might have a little some some problems seeing that like Zidane has hinted that Kareem Benzema might be out um, a couple of times. So I have, I think ultimately Real Madrid is going to come through one nothing. But again, I think it's going to be a really close game for sure. All right. Well, that that's a that's a pretty fair shout. And I wanted to I wanted to be last with this prediction because honestly, Jack, I thought I thought you would back Atlanta, but I think I'll have to do that for you. I think if Atalanta get in the groove of things, play their system, you know, man mark like they do, throw bodies forward like they do. We saw them win against Napoli this weekend. I was pretty impressed with all of the highlights that I saw. And I think if, if they take the time to get into their system, Real Madrid will have a very hard time. If Real Madrid can kind of score an early goal or create the tempo themselves, then they'll be okay. But if Atalanta can can really get in there, I think they're going to win two to one. And, you know, that's me backing Jack's team. So kind of a kind of a crazy, crazy turn of events there. All right. Well, let's take a break from the Champions League real quick and go to the Europa League. So a step down, but still an exciting game. We have Ajax versus Lille. Jack, take this one away. Ooh, well, I like the look of Lille quite a bit because they are a strong side, at least in the league. Uh, you know, they've done really well. They're currently in, I think, at the top of the league, four yes, points ahead yes. of PSG and Lyon. So they're killing in there, but they had a bit of a problem towards the end of the game uh, at home, the home leg, and they conceded two goals, late goals, 
in about 20 minutes. And while, you know, Timothy Weah, amazing player, by the way, should, uh, should probably be involved in the U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifiers, uh, scored a great goal. I, I think that Ajax at home is going to be tough to beat. It is tough to beat them there. And I think that Ajax will probably do, a, do enough to knock Lille out of this competition. What I went between is if Lille are going to like make it close, like draw, and I ultimately settled on a draw. I went for a 1-1 draw, uh, and I think it's, it's going to be tough, but I think Lille will just lack a little bit of depth to get through in the Europa League overall on aggregate. All right. Well, Casey, what do you think about Ajax versus Lil? Again, I think Ajax, I agree with Jack that Lille's been a really fun team to watch, doing really good, um, recently good form in um, uh, France. But I have Ajax winning this one, one nothing. I think Tadic has just been in too good of a form recently. And again, playing at home, especially in the Champions League, I think they're just, or in the Europa League, I think they're just kind of like a Dutch fortress at that point. So I go Ajax 1-0. Yeah, that is actually the exact same scoreline I have. So we're on the we're on the same wavelength right there. Like Ajax has been undefeated in 15 games. Playing in Johan Cruyff Arena is very, very hard, especially when Lille has already conceded two away goals. You know, the cards are stacked against them, and I think that Leo's just not gonna not gonna be up for the fight, knowing that everything everything is stacked against them. So I'm also gonna go one to zero in favor of Ajax. And next one, you know, we have one of uh, Casey's multiple teams, I suppose. It's a uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Manchester City in the Champions League. It honestly might be the most lopsided fixture within the round of 16 for the champions league, but KCM, what do you think? Do you think there, there is a even small chance that Borussia Mönchengladbach can, can upset Manchester city or is this, or is this all city? So I kind of have some trouble with this, just seeing what like Borussia did against Real Madrid in the knockout stage. Um, or not in the knockout stage, excuse me, in the group stage, but they had a big two, two draw, um, and I found that rather surprising, but I think Man City is just unstoppable at this point. 18 straight wins, 13 straight wins in the Premier League. Kevin De Bruyne's coming back from an injury. He's getting more and more minutes. So I have Manchester City 4-0. I don't think, I think they're just going to take it away. I don't think they're just going to dominate side, especially with more reinforcement to that midfield. Um, yeah, Man City 4-0. Wow. All right. Well, he's really backing him. Jack, are you on his side? Do you think, do you think it's going to turn out that way? Pretty similar. I mean, okay. come on. It, Manchester City are the form team in the world right now. Like, in, in the world. They they are undoubtedly one of the best right now. And plus, like, Kevin De Bruyne, you mentioned, Casey, Kevin De Bruyne is coming back. But they also have Ilke Gundogan, who for some reason looks like, you know, a prime, like, yeah. I don't know, Frank Lampard or something yeah. like that. Like, he's he's doing incredibly well. And I think because of that, He'll probably chip in a goal. I think Sterling will probably get one as well. And it'll probably be like a Phil Foden goal or something like that <laughs> uh, to cap it off for Borussia Mönchengladbach 0 to Manchester City 3. Okay. Mm-hmm. I I also agree. I, I definitely think Manchester City is going to win this. I don't think there's... I don't think there's any way that they're going to lose this game. We say that now. They're probably going to get beat like 2-0. 
Hopefully just not. like in just like with Leon last season. Yeah. Gladbach, for for what it's worth, just found out that their manager is leaving for Borussia Dortmund at the end of the season. That just like really puts the nail in the coffin for me. I mean, if you I, I can't imagine they're gonna think to put so much effort in the Champions League when they when they realize that you know the one of their best head coaches of recent history is just leaving for one of their rival teams. They're, they're, that locker room cannot be great. I'm going for one to three, actually, for Manchester City. I think I think Gladbach is going to score one consolation goal, but it's not going to matter much because Manchester City's walking away with three away goals. But we're going away from the Champions League and the Europa League, and we're going towards some domestic league action in the English Premier League. We have Leicester versus Arsenal, one of Casey's teams, Leicester. Uh, Casey, what, what do you think about this game? Do you think that Leicester's going to come out on top? I, again, I had some struggle with this one. My biggest, my biggest, um, I guess, like, achievement in his life is that before Leicester won their title in the 2015-2016 season, I had actually had a jersey Oh wow. before, um, uh, my pair or my grandparents traveled and got me a jersey. So that's kind of my claim to fame. But I have Leicester winning this one, three one. I think Arsenal. They've been kind of up and down, up and down recently. Kind of mm-hmm. still trying to get their legs under them. Um, and Leicester has been in really good form, sitting at three or third in the Premier League right now. I'm gonna have to go Leicester. Yeah, three one. All right, that is Vardy. Vardy bags at least two. Yeah, at the Vardy party. Okay. Okay. Well. That's a, that's a pretty impressive claim to fame. I can't I can't think of many Americans who can say that they've they've owned merch of Leicester City before that miraculous season. So, congrats yeah. to that. Thank you. And Jack, are are you also on the Vardy party? I I think I am. Uh but it's not just Jamie Vardy having the party here. It's James Madison as well and Harvey Barnes. That like attacking trio, it just looks unstoppable at this point in time. Like they're they're just popping off everywhere. They they did great this past weekend, and Arsenal's form isn't great, to be honest. Uh, they have three losses and uh, one win and one draw in the last five. Uh, and given that they also have a Europa League game midweek, Leicester have one too, but Leicester... Uh, actually, no, they're, they're both tied, I believe, in, in theirs. So yeah, I believe it, so. It's going to be a little bit closer. They're probably both going to be a little tired, but ultimately Arsenal just don't have the defensive solidity right now. And I think Leicester are going to win this uh, two to nothing. So Arsenal zero, Leicester two. Okay. Well, I am also on the Vardy party as well as the Barnes and Madison party. I think they're all very, very good players. They've been firing very, very well. The past couple of weeks, Arsenal's players are not firing very well. The past couple of weeks, I have been very high on Obama Yang coming back and playing well. But every time I say that he's playing well, he the next week he seems to to underperform. He's been very hot and cold. And last game with Manchester City, he went ice cold, just completely invisible. And what really sells it for me is that they both have Thursday night Europa League games. So even though I do believe that Leicester City are going to come out on top, the fact that they do have Thursday night games 
leads me to think that it's going to be more of a subdued game. Maybe they're not going to be completely going all for it because they're going to be tired. So I'm going to go with Leicester 1, Arsenal 0. And those are our predictions. Casey, you are one of our guests. Our guests have been doing pretty well with the predictions. How how good are you feeling about your predictions this week? I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. I feel pretty good. I might have shot a little too high in some games just with the score differential, but I'm feeling pretty good. All right. Well, he's feeling pretty confident. I'm feeling pretty confident. Jack, how are you feeling? I don't know. I feel like maybe I should have bet for Atalanta. You know, I feel like I should have backed him and maybe I should have, but I'll stick with the draw. I think, I think that it will be good. I'm on a bit of a hot streak in the predictions right now. Not to brag, but you know, uh, it's, it's going well. Uh, So we'll see if I can maintain that. All right. Well, if Atalanta wins, I'm going to look like big brain over here. <laughs> and, and, that, I'm gonna be, I'm, and I'm going to be sad I didn't back my team. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, and with that, Casey, thank you so much for joining us on the predictions. We look forward to hopefully having you again sometime in the future as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you again so much. I really enjoy it. It's good to see you again, Jack. Really good to be here. So thank you. Yep. All right. Yeah. All right. Again, thank you so much to Casey for joining us. And with that, that's the end of our episode. Jack, do you have anything to say to the final third listeners? As always, make sure to follow our Twitter at Final Third Show. Uh, we really appreciate the, the engagement we've gotten on there. Uh, AJ has put out a few really great tweets this week. So if you want to see more of that, make sure to follow us. And, uh, you know, uh, we really enjoy producing this content. And we're happy to see so many of you seem to enjoy it as well. Uh, and as well, you can also follow our YouTube channel, which hopefully we'll be using more in the near future. Yes. We'll see about that. Uh, we're still trying to figure out what to do with it beyond just posting podcast episodes, but we have some ideas that you might see in the near future. All right. Yeah, that is our time. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple podcasts, follow us wherever you listen to us and, you know, tell a friend if they're into soccer, tell them about the show really helps us grow. Tell your dad even does have to be your friend. Your dad's probably your friend. You should tell him too. And with that, we'll leave you and we'll see you guys on Thursday for our deep dive episode and the same time, same place for our news and predictions next week. Goodbye. See ya.